your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope with host and mother of a recovering child with autism, Betsy Hicks. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Betsy and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Betsy Hicks. Welcome, everybody. I hope you're having a wonderful day, and I am sure that this show is going to be enjoyable to you as I have a good friend of mine on today. Her name is Julie Matthews, and she is a certified nutrition consultant specializing in autism spectrum disorders. Uh, Julie is also on the board of Nourishing Our Children, which is a nonprofit campaign of the Weston A. Price Foundation, San Francisco chapter. The Weston A. Price Conference is coming up uh, actually this, big, this weekend. We'll talk about that too, Julie. Julie hosts a weekly radio show in San Francisco called Reality Sandwich, which addresses a variety of health and healing topics. And she also has a show on Autism One called Nourishing Hope. Julie lives um, in San Francisco where she consults clients on a one-to-one lectures and teaches cooking classes and traditional healing foods. And she is the author of the wonderful Nourishing Hope book, which addresses environmental, biochemical, and nutritional interventions in working with autism. Thank you, Julie, for being on the show today. Thank you, Betsy. I'm thrilled to be here. So let's start with why Julie is my buddy. <laughs> because we had the Autism One Conference this last May. Um, Susan Vess and I have been doing it for the last three years, and um, they this year they really wanted to bring on somebody new to work on a lot of the variety of diets, and Julie was added to our threesome. And I have been nothing but thrilled to work with Julie. Um, she is Here's here's what I love about Julie is aside from the fact that she's extremely intelligent and has a variety of knowledge, she's very unbiased, and I think that 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 unbiasedness is really rare in working with kind of like the Dan practitioners. I, I don't know, Julie, if you would agree with me on that, but I think it's because either if they're a parent of a child with autism, they feel very set on the one thing that helped their child is going to help everybody. Or they may have discovered something, so they're very set on that one thing is going to help everybody. Um, I think you give a really good variety, knowing that not one thing is going to help all children, and many different things are going to help many different children. So, do you feel that you, you that's something different that you offer than most people? You know, I have found that one of the more difficult parts of my job is to. Oh, be able to navigate all the different diets out there and really figure out the the best parts and the pitfalls of each diet and figure out what might be best for an individual. And it is very easy for people to get stuck in having su- success with a particular diet and then trying to apply it across the board to everybody. Yeah. And so, yeah, I really do. I'm appreciating your reflection <laughs> because I really do feel like. Um, I, I try to really customize and tailor a diet for each individual and try not to get stuck in the you know the dogma of one particular way of thinking. I love that and it's it, it's hard because you know um, there's a lot of a lot out there of um, I, I here's what I think it is with the parents. Um, 
they work really, really hard, and they sacrifice a lot to put their child on a particular diet. And um, they feel that if nobody, if, if everyone else isn't working as hard as they are, then they're not doing all that that they should be doing. And I think that, you know, you go to a lot of the listservs and it's like, well, what do you mean you're not doing this? Let me give you an example. When I first started the gluten and casein-free diet, and I was doing Mercola's diet, Dr. Mercola, and he was no sugar, no apples, no carrots, you know, no sugar at all. So I went on these websites and just completely blasted parents who were doing sugar. Mm. And, you know, I, I have so much pain and remorse for those days, but I kind of felt like, well, if I'm working this hard, darn it, you're not doing as much as me, you're doing it wrong. And it, it, and it's kind of meeting all the parents at that halfway point, knowing that they're doing it the best that they can where they can. Right. I think that that's a really good point, and probably the reason that you and I both have this perspective is because we've both been there, and I think everybody has to go through that learning curve of being uh, – Oh, maybe it being, um, what do I want to say? I don't want to say one-sided or obsessed with a particular thing, but I did the same thing. I was a, there was a period of time where I was personally a vegetarian, and mm-hmm. I everyone should be a vegetarian, and I felt, you know, <laughs> superior that to everybody else that I was a vegetarian and I was making these sacrifices and that this was the way to go. And, and then, you know, four or five years into it, I actually didn't feel so healthy, and I actually had to really changed my thinking and I like you I convinced a particular family member to be a vegetarian and now I'm looking back going you know it really probably wasn't the best thing for this person it certainly wasn't the best thing for me and I have a lot of remorse for for all of the sort of very rigid think here here you know we think we're so um, open minded because yeah. we're doing this special diet but then realizing <laughs> I realizing that we're just as rigid as everybody else with our just a know. different box yes exactly so I think that you know maybe because of our own individual experiences with those things we've come to maybe see that um, you know we need to take everything as a grain of salt or everything as it is and try to customize things and not assume that the one new thing is right and the best because you know what nutrition is one of those areas that it's continually evolving we are on the cutting edge nutrition is one of those things where every day and every year we the new things that we learn get incorporated into our new ways of thinking and uh, it is really truly a very very dynamic science and uh, so if we think we know everything right now then I think we're doing ourselves and our clients a, a disservice would you say, Julie, that number one to you is GFCF or number one to you is general good nutrition? Mm. <laughs> now I'm getting put in a box. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I'll tell you what, I, I, you, I used to say, no, number one is GFCF. Right. And, and I'll tell you what, since exploring new avenues and going different directions i question that and and it's and it's hard but uh, tell me so, you know usually again i look at the individual child and what's going on so you know with children on the spectrum they often are very picky and very rigid about what they eat and the thought of trying to get them to eat something outside of macaroni and cheese and pizza is uh, virtually um, a seemingly impossible task for some people then i start to look at well 
it would be nice to do an ideally healthy diet and just add all these wonderful foods in, but I am not going to be able to expand this child's diet because it's so restrictive, and most likely they're addicted to these foods because yeah. they wouldn't be so obsessed with them if they were. So, you know, in this case, we probably would need to do GFCF before we can even put healthy foods into the diet. Uh, so, you know, I would look at the individual case where other people, like maybe their child has a generally healthy diet, but, you know, maybe the husband isn't necessarily bought onto GFCF yet or the mom hasn't seen any problem with a particular food like dairy or, or something. Then I might go first to an overall healthy diet and get it as healthy as possible, getting good nutrients mm-hmm. and probiotic-rich foods and things in there, and then we can look on um, taking out certain foods if we need to. So I would say that, you know, if I were going to put somebody on a, quote, special autism diet, GFCF would probably, is often the first diet I would try with people. If I were just going to say um, general, across-the-board recommendation, it's a good one to start with. However, I don't always start with that diet and don't always think that that diet's the best to start with. So, you know, as a nutrition consultant, I can right. really customize things, but if I need to give more general recommendations, um uh, it kind of depends where the individual is, and I and I totally respect and understand that, understand that. And anybody who's listening who is not familiar what GFCF is an acronym for gluten. It, it, G is the acronym for gluten, and and C is the acronym for casein. Gluten and casein free diet. We're talking about basically a wheat and dairy free diet that um, is so helpful in the treatment of so many children with autism. Um, so. This is this is exactly what I was hoping to, to where I want to bring this today because this is this is the the fun part. It's the customization part and knowing what is best for the family. Let's I, I want to talk to you because this is something that's very interesting to me about different nationalities. Um, you live in San Francisco, wonderful diversity of so many different ethnic backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Tell me about um, what nationalities you find to be really nutritionally doing a, a, a great job, and, and, and I don't want to be totally stereotypical here, but you've got to have your feelings towards certain nationalities that are really bringing a good diet to the table as opposed to we already know how poor the American diet right, is. Right, right. I mean, when you, when, for example, if an Indian family walks into my, fam- to my office and we have to talk about diet, I'm, I'm always so happy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, Tell me about some of the nationalities that you feel the food's really strong with. Sure. Well, firstly, any traditional diet usually has some wonderful principles. So I've had, you know, older Russian ladies in my mm. classes who get all excited about certain fermented foods from their homeland. Oh, or, wonderful. And so there can be, you know, I think every diet and nationality in its traditional diet has some really wonderful principles because back then, we were really getting the most whole quality foods that we could um, using all the different parts of the, the food or the animal or whatever it would be. So in general, I would say, firstly, any diet that's based on the traditional culture has some wonderful properties to it. Okay. And then from there, I would say that, you know, again, depending on the individual person and what their needs are, I find that typically Asian diets and Indian diets are really good because in the – in the world of uh, gluten and casein-free, these two um, worlds of diets really don't use wheat or dairy at all or much at all. So right. it's always kind of nice if you need to go out to a restaurant 
you can go to, say, Thai food, and there's wonderful coconut milks, and there are um, great spices and things, as well as they use a lot of rice, and they really don't use dairy or wheat at all. Now, Indian food does use a little bit of dairy and a little wheat, but you can definitely avoid it, uh, depending on what kind of a dish that you, that you go for. And um, I also like those, too, because they don't use a lot of soy, necessarily. Right, um, right. You know, sometimes if I go to Chinese, they use a lot of soy sauce. I don't necessarily know what um, what I'm getting. And I personally don't do a lot of soy, if any, soy myself, and I don't recommend it usually. So those two I find um, Thai and Indian particularly great. But, you know, any I find any Asian food often has these similar principles of no dairy and no wheat, so I typically like them. And Indian food has wonderful spices, the turmeric and, and those yeah. wonderful anti-inflammatory the herbs. Cumins and, yeah. uh, so I would say that probably those are two of my yeah. kind of favorite areas. That's, that's, uh, that's great, and I would totally be in agreement with that. We have to take a quick break. When we get back, let's talk to Julie more about creating your own diet for your own household. We'll be right back with Julie Matthews. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. ReadySorb Glutathione is proud to support the Betsy Hicks radio program. Glutathione is essential for human health. It protects cells from oxidative stress and supports the body's removal of toxins. It enhances immune function. Glutathione is one of the body's ways of detoxifying itself. It protects our DNA. Glutathione is one of the most effective free radical scavengers. Autistic children are predisposed to low glutathione, which prevents them from detoxifying normally. ReadySorb Liposomal Glutathione is an oral dietary supplement that was formulated by a physician for his own patients. Each teaspoon contains over 400 milligrams of glutathione. The ingredients are pure and chemical free. And there's no sodium benzoate in ReadySorb Glutathione. It's approved for use on the fine gold program. Ask your doctor about ReadySorb Liposomal Glutathione and read more about us at www.readisorb.com. That's R-E-A-D-I-S-O-R-B dot com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Betsy. 
We are back with wonderful Julie Matthews talking about diet. And, Julie, we've been talking about all the different components of making up um, different nationalities, making up a good diet and such, and how to choose the right diet. But this is where I want to hit more in choosing the right diet because um, SCD, the Specific Carbohydrates Diet, has some, in my opinion, absolutely wonderful aspects of it. Mm-hmm. But and you and I have discussed before, it's not necessarily right for every person or every individual. Um, and there are parts of it that I don't like, and I and I have to be honest about those parts. And that's why, you know, I get I get frustrated with calling a diet a diet because. Can't we just take parts of it without labeling it the SCD diet? I mean, do, do they do they own the rights to, to specific carbohydrates? But there's parts of it that, um, as an example, let me let me t- t- tell you where I have a hard time with the SCD. There's so many of these kids cannot handle eggs, mm-hmm. and it is a really hard diet, and they can't tolerate nuts either. Right. And it's a really hard diet to do if you're not digesting nuts and eggs because you just really start to run out of food. Um, and but I do like the idea of as little grains as possible in the diet. So, do you ever thought of just making up your own diet? Call it the Julie diet. And <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, that's a great question. No, I haven't. Well, maybe I have thought of it and then just determined I did not want to do that. Because every time I try to do that, then I realize there's somebody that doesn't fit into that box. Exactly. I love that answer. Okay, so tell me about then your feelings on. Limiting grains and, and that sure, part. Sure, sure. Well, again, uh, depending on where somebody is and what symptoms somebody has, it can be really helpful or and, and sometimes important or essential to really limit grains or to completely avoid grains. And so in my book I talk about the different diets and which ones you need to follow 100% in order to get the benefit of the what the diet's trying to do. Oh. So there's some diets where you can pull different principles from, and then there's some diets that if you really want them to work in their therapeutic way, you have to sort of follow them completely. So reducing grains, eliminating gluten grains, reducing overall grains, soaking grains, fermenting grains, all of these ways to make grains more digestible or avoid them can really be important in a diet. If SCD wants to be followed in its true form, it really needs to be followed strictly because what we're trying to do is to remove those foods, those starches and sugars that feed these microorganisms and create a lot of inflammation and further damage to the gut. And so for someone that really has maybe an inflamed and inflammatory gut problem, really you want to follow this diet 100%. Uh, if you don't, you you only get a short, small regression, so it's not like it messes the whole thing up, but mm-hmm. it's something that if you really want to see the benefit and get the good healing from, you need to follow 100% if you have a particular person that fits into that criteria. And mm-hmm. so some people do remarkably well following the diet completely. Other people, though, for whatever reason, because the diet's limited, because they can't handle certain oxalates, uh, we have to look. So, for example, one of there's a newer diet out there called the low oxalate diet, and it limits things like nuts and beans and those types of foods that can create a lot of damage and inflammation in the gut for, from people who can't process oxalates. Or, again, if you had a nut allergy, let's say you wouldn't be doing nuts. And so if you follow this diet, 
from for some people it's exactly what they need for other people it starts putting oxalates in the tissues and creating a lot of pain and inflammation and then gut problems that won't allow the dysbiosis to um be eliminated doesn't allow for the the good bacteria and the bad bacteria to kind of get into their proper balance mm-hmm. when all there's all this inflammation so I would say that, uh, in general, reducing grains is great. Now, doing SCD will depend on the person's diet. If they eat meat, if they don't eat meat, it gets very limited. If they don't eat nuts, if they don't eat eggs, it gets very limited. And so, in some cases, we might pull certain principles, or we might determine if somebody's big issue is a particular part of the grain. So, one of my theories is that may, one of the reasons SCD works so well may be because we're taking out these grains and these inflammatory compounds. So grains, beans, nuts all have phytates, oxalates, lectins, very inflammatory compounds on the outsides of the these particular substances that make them difficult and inflammatory. So sometimes I think, well, if we reduce the grains, we might fix that problem without necessarily having to go full SCD. So, again, this is where all those subtleties come into play. Right, right. Yeah, the, the, the carbohydrate issue in general is an issue for every, everybody um, to have to pay attention to the amount of carbohydrates that they're taking in. And, uh, it, you know, it's where to kind of draw the line and I think is what you're saying is that the, the line is pretty much drawn or to, to know the degree of where you have to go is based on gut inflammation? I would say a couple things. One, yes, definitely gut inflammation and then what's the cause of the gut inflammation? Mm, so good. if we can try to determine that or we can right. our if best... Right, dysbiosis like you're saying. Yeah, right. then, then we'll see. If, it's, if the gut inflammation is due to dysbiosis, well, then we might need to work on fermented foods and things. If the gut inflammation is due to oxalates, then we need to work on that area. But I would say, uh, in general, you know, specific carbohydrate diet is a great diet for inflammation. But we might have to make it even, if we follow it completely, we might even have to make it more restrictive if we follow the rules 100%. Whereas if we think, oh, well, look, oxalic acid is high on the organic acid test, you know what, let's see if we lower oxalates. If we can keep, let's say, rice in the diet. Mm-hmm. Rice tends to white rice tends to be a lower oxalate food. Again, here we go. It's like brown rice is great, right? It's got more nutrients right. and things, but you've got an oxalate issue. You can't handle what, uh, brown rice, and you need to do white. So all these little subtleties, and hopefully I'm not confusing the audience by not – see, this is what makes my job difficult is that I can't just say to someone, oh, let yeah. me simplify it for you and tell yeah. you exactly what you need to do. So I my know. message is not always easy. And and that's okay. I like that. I, I like the the messages that you're giving me right now. Now here's something that I have a question of because this is, you know, salicylates were really big eight years ago in the autism community. A lot of talk about salicylates, and I don't hear about it as much anymore. Is it still being discussed? It definitely is being discussed. And you know, again, here's where the fad diets or the diets come and go as fads or trends, but doesn't mean that some of the principles aren't really helpful and important, but we do learn more. So now I'm seeing that sometimes as kids get healthier, some cases parents have reported it's once their child does some detoxification. Sometimes it's when the diet becomes more alkaline or something like that. Then 
then salicylates and phenols can be processed better. And so a lot of times what I found is that this diet isn't a long-term diet. This is one of those diets where you can incorporate principles without having to do it 100%. I understand, and, yeah. 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 You know, that, that's big. And is that because, but the one food that's very high in salicylate that SCD uses a tremendous amount is honey. Mm-hmm. And I don't know a lot of kids who really do well on honey, which, I mean, do you, do you find that honey causes a lot of problems when, when used in large amounts? Well, sure. If it's used in large amounts, it's not great. The nice thing about SCD is it allows for a little bit, some sweeter foods than you get on some of the other diets. Sure. Because you can use a little more fruit and a little more honey. But I think that it's very easy to go overboard and create sort of rigid rules where, oh, honey's acceptable, so let's use tons of honey. And, yeah. and that, I find, doesn't work either. That's a good um, point. Yeah. That's a good point. That's Those are the people that, you know, get assigned the GFCF, call up, get, get every chocolate chip cookie and every cracker imaginable. Right. And, and don't understand why they're not seeing as great of results because it's not just about replacing, it's about changing diet in general. Right. And that is something that um, is, is big. Now, I know you're a big fan of um, uh, a lot of the body ecology type stuff and fermenting foods. And I think that when you were saying earlier about there's some principles of that that you can incorporate into any of the diets that you, without following 100% body ecology, mm-hmm. is, is that, was that one of the diets that you were kind of referring to? Yeah. That? Yes. So body ecology has some, it's a great diet for yeast overgrowth and, and healing up the gut and working on that area. And a couple of the principles that I think can be applied to anybody are the fermented foods. Yes. And which fermented foods you do is just going to depend on what ones your body can handle. And then, of course, alkalizing foods, which are mostly vegetables. And we all can do better by getting more vegetables in the diet and limiting the sugars and those sorts of things. So some of those, just those basic principles, I think, are wonderful things you can incorporate into any diet that you're doing. It is. There's some, there's some great pieces of that. And the fermenting foods, though, it can be a tricky one with, with kids that are sensitive to taste. Yes, yeah, so it depends uh, on, you know, things like certainly yogurt and is a wonderful fermented food. However, a lot of people don't do dairy, so it takes out one of the easiest fermented foods very often. And then we're left with sort of strange things like sauerkraut. Well, <laughs> you know, right. that cannot, it's not always the easiest thing when you have a really picky eater. But interestingly, for kids that love lemon, love those really yes. sour foods, and I know some kids that put lemon on everything because they just need to wake up their food somewhat, that sauerkraut's a wonderful food, and they love it. And I have some kids that eat sauerkraut two or three times a day. So it really, again, just depends on the tastes of the individual child and, and slowly incorporating these, these foods over time. And, and just getting them to try a bite. And yes. You know, Julie, you know I've worked with, with children for so many years, and my specialty has always just been on getting rid of that picky eating piece, mm-hmm. and um, it's it, it's it's I've made so many mistakes, and and really I learn on my mistakes. So I when I when I speak, so I, I don't mean to sound pompous when I say that this is what you have to do. It's it's mostly from from what I have learned over the many years. My my twins are now fourteen years old, so I feel a little more educated to speak about it. But um, there has to be a certain adamant attitude that the parent has to have where the food has to become medicine to their children. Mm-hmm. And you have to look at it as not um, the reward or punishment for behavior, but rather the, the healing component of their daily lifestyle. Right. 
And, and I think when you look at it that way, you're more inclined to say, listen, you have to take a bite. And if they don't listen and if they don't speak and they don't understand, everybody has a reward that can be great enough to make sure that that reward is there if the bite is taken. And right. to work with the textures and work with desensitizing the mouth and all the different ways that you can make that happen. We do have to take another break. When we get back, Julie and I will talk more about um, nutritional components in, in our children's diet. We'll be right back with Julie Matthews. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. ReadySorb Glutathione is proud to support the Betsy Hicks radio program. Glutathione is essential for human health. It protects cells from oxidative stress and supports the body's removal of toxins. It enhances immune function. Glutathione is one of the body's ways of detoxifying itself. It protects our DNA. Glutathione is one of the most effective free radical scavengers. Autistic children are predisposed to low glutathione, which prevents them from detoxifying normally. ReadySorb Liposomal Glutathione is an oral dietary supplement that was formulated by a physician for his own patients. Each teaspoon contains over 400 milligrams of glutathione. The ingredients are pure and chemical-free, and there's no sodium benzoate in ReadySorb Glutathione. It's approved for use on the fine gold program. Ask your doctor about Redisorb Liposomal Glutathione and read more about us at www.redisorb.com. That's R-E-A-D-I-S-O-R-B.com. Living Your Power with host and intuitive counselor Diane Brandon breaks down the old traditions of taking what life gives you. Living Your Power teaches you how to have a life of success, happiness, and fulfillment. How to live your power, feeling vibrant and confident. Tune in Tuesdays at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern to Living Your Power on Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. We are back with Julie Matthews talking about diets and working with autism, using diets as interventions in autism, and we've already talked about GFCF and SCD and um, a little bit of body ecology even. 
But let's let's talk about some other things that are also out there. Um, I really want to hit the Weston A. Price Foundation stuff, but but first, let's touch into raw foods first because I I love raw foods. And and are you do you feel that I mean I could never be on a hundred percent raw food diet. I'm an O blood type. Mm-hmm. I like my meat. I need my meat. Um, but every time I go to any place that has a raw food restaurant, I just completely indulge. Mm. And is it one of those things, too, that you don't have to follow really all the way, or do you do they believe that you really need to follow it 100% to get the benefits? Wow. Well, you next time you come to visit, you're going to have to come out with us because we have a, a wonderful oh, raw food yay. restaurant here called Cafe Gratitude. And every time you go, you order off the menu with things like their, 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 their foods are not, uh, you know, enchilada salad. It's... I am worthy. I am oh, cool. deserving. I am passionate. It's great. It's really fun. It's fun to go and you guys are so jealous. Okay, you know what? I may have my land to run around in, Julie, but I, I, I give it up for for a restaurant like that within walking distance of my house. You have a very nice time, and so I um, what I love about going somewhere like that or eating raw foods in my house is that I can pretty much eat anything because the nice thing about the raw food principles is they don't since they don't eat anything that has been cooked, they don't eat grains. Right. So it's very, uh, it's a nice way to incorporate, quote, crackers that are made with flax seeds or sprouted nuts or something like that. Right. So there's some wonderful, wonderful uh, principles, and everybody can pretty much less eat there. So... Um, what I, so going back into some, just in general, the principles of raw foods, I personally think a balance between all of those is a more ideal way to go. So I am not a fan of 100% raw food diet. Mm-hmm. I also think that while in theory raw foods are supposed to be easier to digest because they have the enzymes intact and things, there are things, certain things that cooking does for the food, like it breaks down some of the oxalates and things like that. Uh, and also there's some wonderful foods that, like meat. Now, people could take raw foods to an extreme and eat raw meat or raw fish like you do with sushi, but most people aren't going to do that. And I think that there is some good balance involved where uh, certain foods like cruciferous are better, like the broccolis and things are better cooked. So I like to incorporate raw food principles into a standard diet so I can get some of the benefits of certain foods that are better cooked certain foods that are better raw and balance those principles out a little bit and eating some raw vegetables and uh, raw produce, raw fruits, of course, is a wonderful way to get some really live, enzyme-rich, nutrient-dense foods in the diet. And things like, now, usually if you go to a raw food type of a restaurant or raw foodists are usually vegan, so they don't do any any uh, raw either. product. Okay. But we, you know, I love raw milk. I think raw egg yolks have wonderful properties. So if you're not squeamish or concerned about food, uh, foodborne illness, then you can even do some of those non-vegan foods raw, which I, which I do, and I think are wonderful principles to add. They do a lot of soy though in many of them, don't they? Also, raw food doesn't do much soy, at least not the raw food that I've been to. Yeah, Occasionally I, a little. I think it depends on the, probably depends on the place. There's one in Atlanta that I go to in Marietta, and they do, every time I leave there, I feel good, but my stomach aches because I always indulge in something soy that they have made. Um, ah. And I don't know, I, I don't know how they make those things raw, but I guess they could just basically soak it like any bean and make 
things wrong. Yeah, you know, I don't know. My my restaurant and some of the principles that I like are things more like using nut milks or cashew milk yes. to make creams and things. So um, fortunately, my restaurant, and when I make any sort of raw dishes, I don't use soy in my cooking. So, so you know, have we talked, Julie, since I found the book of Vice Cream? I have that book. Isn't it the best? <laughs> Great. <laughs> Anybody who doesn't know about this book, it's called Vice Cream, and it's all these ice creams that you can make that are completely well. They're they're essentially raw too, mm-hmm. and um, no dairy, and they're amazing. I mean, the, the chocolate ice cream that I make on there, it's basically made from cashew nuts, raw cashew nuts, and maple syrup. Mm. And I make green tea ice creams. I make you know whatever fruit I have left over, I'll make something like that. Wonderful way also for the kids to disguise supplements mm. because the cold takes away from the bitterness that a supplement might introduce. Very good point. So um, that's that's another one of my favorites. That's 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 one of my biggest raw things to do. But yeah, I, I do I do I'm just salivating just thinking about having that. And you know, here I am in Wisconsin where for lunchtime I'm really lucky. If I can get something that's not even fried, <laughs> but I'm sure I'll find something out there today. Um, Weston A. Price is—it's um, interesting because I, I never would have thought I would have been on board with a lot of the, the teachings of this had it not been for my friend Kayla Daniel, who's the author of the whole Soy Story, and I'm such a huge fan of hers that when she came to the Autism One Conference two years ago and we started talking and she started talking about the benefits of raw milk. Um, I, you know, was definitely learning a lot about the, the, the pieces, especially what interested me more was uh, raw goat's milk than so much just general uh, raw cow's milk. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a, a big piece of Weston A. Price, but to me, that's that's not the, the most um, compelling piece of Weston A. Price. To me, it's the, it's the understanding about fats that is, huge that Weston A. Price mm-hmm. teaches. Can you talk a little bit about the fats that they speak of and why we as a society are like losing brain function and having depression and all kinds of problems because we simply are not getting enough fats? Sure. This is actually definitely one of my favorite principles. I am a huge fan of fat and they really encourage quality fats and unrefined fats. So they're certainly not speaking of fried foods and chips and those kinds of things, but they're looking at traditional fats. So they, their, their view is, I would say, controversial in the mainstream nutrition world, but not controversial to those of us that really understand fats and, and fatty acid balance and all of that. They do a lot of things like coconut oil, unrefined coconut oil, which is high in caprylic acid and lauric acid, which has wonderful immune system properties and antimicrobial benefits. They look at animal fats, but not your standard animal fat. They go to a uh, a standard of grass-fed specifically where you're getting higher levels of the good brain fats and the DHA and the EPA and very low levels of more in the inflammatory substances. And So they're looking really at what is a true unrefined fat and what does it have to offer? How can we make it in its or, or, or produce it or grow it or whatever it is in the most healthy fashion so that we're actually taking the quality of the fat and the different fatty acids into into perspective. Usually when people talk about fats, it's all about 
fats, carbs, protein, percentages, grams, and there's no conversation at all about the different fatty acids and fatty acid balance and none of that. And they really bring those principles in and do a great job educating people on that. Well, let's talk about some of the really important fats that we need to get down. I mean, when I when I roast a chicken, which is probably a, a weekly thing that I do, I mean, my son gravitates right towards the chicken, and I just p- pull off as much skin as I can give him because <laughs> he's so he's so underweight to begin with. But I know how good, um, and these are organic chickens, by the way. But I um, I know how good these chickens are. Um, people would shudder to think that that's something that I give my 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 son. Right, and and. Can you talk about why chicken fat is so good for so many of the kids or the skin? Yeah, well, you know, when you're looking at those animal fats, so whether it's fat on chicken or uh, fat in uh, dairy or whatever those kinds of fats are, if the animal is really raised in a healthy manner, they're going to be getting a good amount of different types of fats. Um, And saturated fat is actually a good thing. Saturated fat doesn't go rancid very easily. We don't have to use our important antioxidants to try to neutralize that damage. There's wonderful uh, brain fats in there, like I mentioned, like DHA and things like that in there. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, if we have too lean of a fat, um, or I'm sorry, an animal protein, then we need to be able to assimilate that protein with certain vitamins like vitamin A, uh, which happens to be really rich in animal fat. So, mm. you know, the way that nature sort of works is that you have all of those nutrients you need in there. So if you eat a lot of lean, low-fat meat and don't have the good fats and the fat-soluble nutrients to really absorb and utilize that protein, now we're, we can create nutrient deficiencies by needing to pull that vitamin A, let's say, from our liver and our stores of vitamin A instead of being able to use the vitamin A that's naturally occurring in it. So why are people being told, well, I I know the answer to this, but I want you to tell the answer to this. Why are people being told that saturated fat is what's causing their raising of cholesterol? Well, you know why they're doing that. I actually, you might have a better answer because I say I don't know why people are spreading information that isn't accurate. Well, because they want to sell, they want to sell their own oils and they, they want, I mean, you know, it's just, it, with, without anything that's being manufactured, nobody's making big money. It's like it's the manufactured foods is where they make their money. Well, that's that's a very good point. And I and I would also say maybe the other part is possibly a little bit of uh, misinformation. So yeah. in science, what we often do is we we look at one uh, one cause and one effect. You know, we yeah. add this one thing and what does it do? But the human body doesn't work that way. So when we look at heart disease and we see cholesterol in the arteries, we think, oh, cholesterol's bad, let's avoid cholesterol. But we don't look at how do all these pieces work together? How does the quality of the animal food change the cholesterol and change the inflammatory compounds and all these other pieces and we take things in a vacuum and I think that maybe we've uh, wrong, you know, we don't, we often don't look at it as a whole so I think we've wrongfully understood or misunderstood the effects of saturated fat and cholesterol mm-hmm. and sort of demonize them mm-hmm. when if we really look at it differently, we see that that's not true. And Western Price is doing a good job spreading that word. You know, the one thing that I tell people when I give lectures all the time is no matter who your God is, who your creator is, whatever religion you are a part of, if you believe in any higher power whatsoever, and we'll say God for the sake of, of just conforming here, and, and, and if you if you have a belief in a God, you can't possibly think that God would have put us on this world with 
thinking, well, you know, I'll put, I'll give them this chicken, I'll give them this coconut, but boy, they're going to have some cholesterol problems down the road. Right. I mean, really, we were put on this world with the foods that were meant to make us thrive. It's only because of our manipulation to foods and alternating foods and taking foods and changing them around that it's messed us up. Mm-hmm. So if we go back to basics, we're always in good shape. Mm-hmm. we got to take another break. We'll be right back with Julie Matthews. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. ReadyZorb Glutathione is proud to support the Betsy Hicks radio program. Glutathione is essential for human health. It protects cells from oxidative stress and supports the body's removal of toxins. It enhances immune function. Glutathione is one of the body's ways of detoxifying itself. It protects our DNA. Glutathione is one of the most effective free radical scavengers. Autistic children are predisposed to low glutathione, which prevents them from detoxifying. ReadySorb Liposomal Glutathione is an oral dietary supplement that was formulated by a physician for his own patients. Each teaspoon contains over 400 milligrams of glutathione. The ingredients are pure and chemical-free, and there's no sodium benzoate in ReadySorb Glutathione. It's approved for use on the Fine Gold program. Ask your doctor about ReadySorb Liposomal Glutathione and read more about us at www.readisorb.com. That's R-E-A-D-I-S-O-R-B dot com. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Let's face it, hormones happen. Whether you're a male or female, hormones have an impact on your overall well-being. Dr. Hart brings to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel timely topics that answer your lifelong questions about hormones in men, women, and teens. Tune in to Optimal Wellness every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Optimal Wellness. Live life well. Live life long. Live life to the fullest. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. I am back with the wonderful Julie Matthews, who's the author of Nourishing Hope. And, Julie, um, I think where we need to wrap this up in talking about food today is why food matters. Mm-hmm. And, and 
I, I talk to people all around the world, I, I will openly say, because I, I travel a lot and I speak to other different countries, and I, I don't think that people take it seriously, as, as seriously as they need to, as, as this is the daily nutrition that is being put into your body and, um, or lack thereof. So can you tell us about why you feel food matters? Absolutely. Well, there are a lot of things going on when, when we're looking at autism, for example, there's a lot of nutrient deficiencies. Some of those are inborn errors in certain biochemical pathways. Some of them are because of their poor diet. So simply from a perspective of eating a healthy diet to get some good nutrients in is, is important. But it also goes many steps further than that in that these children also have a lot of gut inflammation and digestive problems. And the one thing that comes in contact with the digestive system every day on a moment-to-moment basis is food. And food can really make that gut inflamed or food can be used in a therapeutic way to heal the gut. Also, we need to be able to digest those foods. So we need to eat as many digestible forms as we can so that we can get access to those nutrients that we need. We There are certain toxins either in foods or that get created from foods like gluten and casein can create an opiate response and artificial ingredients can create all sorts of challenges. So making sure that our food supply is also pure of all of or, or free of all of these substances that in some cases are just purely toxins and in other cases are generally healthy foods, but if you can't process them, then they now become toxins for your body. And so just looking at what all those different systems are, what all the different biochemistry is, I just heard a wonderful interview with Martha Herbert the other day, who's a, an MD and a researcher in uh, works with pediatric neurology, and she was talking about how, you know, we cannot, we have to take this diet seriously, that there was actually a recent report in a journal of medicine of a child with autism eating Coca-Cola and Pop-Tarts, and he ended up with scurvy and, and something that we never see anymore. But this is not uncommon for these for kids with really restrictive diets on the autistic spectrum to be eating foods like this. And and so it is really important that parents understand that while it seems that children can survive on a lot of junk food, often they can't, and often it's crucial for their health to get their diet in shape. And so while it can be very challenging, it's important for parents to understand the benefit and the healing properties and the toxic effects of certain foods and really have, like you said earlier, just a, a devoted, unwavering commitment to making sure that they're doing everything they can to work with their child and get them to eat a healthier diet. I, I think about the picky eating excuses that I get from so many of the families, and they, you know, they're, they're afraid of the world of, of changing the diet. But I also see their world, their own world now, currently, of picky eating, and, and it's not like it's a walk in the park. I mean, some of these kids start off on diets so tremendously specific that they can't even go to a restaurant just to be able, or they can't go to grandma's house, or they can't go any place else because. The child is so restrictive of what they're self-limiting themselves to mm-hmm. that the, the the parents are trapped in a different way. Right, and and that's why when you imp- start implementing a good diet, in many ways, you become less restrictive mm-hmm. because when your child will eat meats and will eat vegetables, you really can go to a lot of different places. And 
I will never hear the cop out about you cannot eat out and eat gluten and casein free and mm. relatively healthy because I travel so much and I take my kids with me a lot of places and we you, you, you there's a little bit of planning involved a little bit more but it is not as difficult as a child who only eats pop tarts because mm-hmm. you know because there's an, there's got to be a stigma and an embarrassment with that as well too that you you know have to know in your gut and I don't want to judge anybody because everybody is on their own path and where they need to be but there's no way that you could be resonating that that's an okay thing right uh, you have to know you don't have to know what Julie knows but you you need to know that so it can get better. Right. And and it will get better. And we've talked and getting organized. Let, well, let's let's talk about your book, Nourishing Hope, and what this brings to to people's lives and all the different benefits that are in it. Because it's such a great, you know, it's comprehensive yet it's short. You know, it's not it's not a huge gigantic read, but yet it really covers the tidbits of many different things. Mm. Yeah, I, I try to write in my book both for parents and practitioners so that. A parent could have the tools they need to implement diet on their own or get started with diet or have some discussions around diet or ask their doctor about certain things if they have an open-minded one, but also making it scientifically sound and valid so if a parent needed some support from their physician and wanted to bring the book in, that it's scientifically referenced. It explains the first probably 50 pages is all on the biochemistry of autism and the body and what's going on and how food can help. So it's not just one of these dogma things of, oh, you must do this diet because everyone must do it, but why does diet work and how to understand what your child's biochemistry is and how to determine which diet to use for your child. So I go into a lot of background, but then I go into, I have about 13 or 14 different diets that I go into that parents can choose from or uh, incorporate and and, uh, layer and refine and mix together to come up with a diet for their child. And so um, I tried to bring in as much information so parents could either do it on their own or at least get some first steps for a discussion to be started. And it's great because it's not even just about the food pieces. You also hit a lot of other environmental concerns about things that are in your home, things like fluoride and and plastics that we're all dealing with and all the different, I mean, and Tide. Mm -hmm. I have to name that one by name because it's got to be probably one of the most toxic uh, detergents there is. Mm -hmm. And just things that um, we're not even thinking about uh, of of the toxins that we're exposing. Absolutely. You know, uh, as a person on my own life health journey, you can't really separate the detox, you know, poor detoxification from the toxins in the food versus the toxins in the environment and how they build up and how they contribute to each other. And so, yeah, I do try to bring some holistic principles in as well, just some simple things that everybody can do that really do make a, quite a profound impact. They may not have thought of these things before, but they're so easy to do and they make a big difference. Julie, we're, we got, we're down to a few seconds. Tell us, everybody, where your, what your website is and where they can get your book. Sure. It's nourishinghope.com, and the book is Nourishing Hope, and it's right there. And there's a website and a blog, and um, we're working on building a community site and all sorts of information on autism that's available for, for free as well as how to get my book. Get the book. It's a wonderful book. You'll love it. Julie, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. Thank you, Betsy. It was great. All right. We'll talk to everybody next week. Don't... 
Uh, forget we have archives available on Voice America as well as Pathways Med website. We'll be with you next week. Bye-bye. To contact Betsy or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks.